Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com. Previously on Lakeshore. Susan questions Hazel about her knowledge of demons, crystals, and the details of Rex Lemaire's operations. The two reach a tentative alliance and begin to plan to free Hazel from the control of her demonic patron, Malarax. Meanwhile, as Kitty attempts to adjust to her mundane life with Philip, her friends aren't so quick to let her go. Roman follows Ileana's directions to the mysterious bar, The Last Hurrah, only to find it entirely populated by ghosts. The bartender, Charlie, is willing to help her restore Kitty's powers when she returns to the city. Knox, concerned that the group would be at a disadvantage without Kitty and her abilities, teams up with Roman to track her down. The two make their way to the Yanakis apartment to investigate. Hi, I'm Jory. I play Kitty, the aware, and it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Jillian. I play Susan, the hunter. It's good to be here. Hi, I'm Eli. I play Roman, the fae. It's good to be here. Hey, it's me, Jordan. I'm across the room. I'm not there yet, but I just want to let you all know that I play Nox Detainen, and... It's good to be here. I almost feel like I shouldn't do a joke one if Jordan's gonna do the joke one sometimes. Like, there needs to be balance. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm the MC of this uh, campaign of Urban Shadows, and it's good to be here. Welcome to Many Realms. I'm normal. You step into the Yanakis apartment. The sun has set over Lakeshore and the penthouse is dark. City lights filter in through the drapes and outline the curves of furnishings and objects that have been strewn over the floor. The place has been trashed. Knox, you flick the light switch. Nothing happens. What do you do? I produce my trusty lighter from my pocket and light it approximately three inches in front of the right side of my face to get the perfect noir Rembrandt lighting as I do so. And I take a couple steps inside and call out for Kitty. There is no response from the interior of the apartment with the light from your lighter. You can uh, get a bit of a better sense of the layout of the penthouse. As you step forward, you can see that there's like a cone of destruction in a sense. Like the kitchen and bathroom on the far end on the left side are a little bit messy, but look relatively untouched on the right hand side as the as a hallway extends off the living room towards what you presume are the bedrooms. You can see that there is a massive amount of clutter and debris and household objects thrown about, including some scattered papers and knickknacks and uh, even like bedclothes have been stripped off. Um, and this is what you see as you light your lighter. Roman is not initially very helpful, I feel like. <laughs> this is like a kind of strange moment for her where it's like, if I had just kind of followed in my older sister's footsteps and followed in my parents' expectations of me, this could have easily been my apartment. Mm-hmm. So I think she feels just like strange. Not not even like envious or like 
sad or anything. No, like, it's a very neutral feeling. It's just strange. So she's kind of like, I don't know, inspecting all of the furniture and how nice it is and how foreign that is to her now. All right, well, then I guess make your way to Kitty's bedroom and see if there's like a note. You know, is there like a grocery list on the counter? Is there like, is there anything that's like, implies it's currently still lived in or that Kitty has been here recently? Or like, was this a sudden departure? Is there on the calendar today circled day to leave and forget about everything ever? Like what is going on? When you step inside deeper into the apartment and start casting your light around and taking a look at all the surfaces, There are clues that suggest that the family was not rushing out of here. The fridge still has a carton that has three eggs in it and a half a quart of milk. There's a a, a sickly sweet smell that pervades the air that's sort of um, nauseating that you can't quite name mixed in with all of this dirt that's been tracked in, this ruckus, this rubbish. As you head down the hallway towards Philip and Kitty's bedroom, as you mentioned, Knox, you can see there is almost literal paper trail. Someone has been going through documents and folders and just kind of scattering stuff to the winds, throwing it out, looking for something. There are, you know, sodden pieces of paper that stick to the heel of your shoe as you creep down this hallway and uh, open the door and take a look inside this bedroom, which has been maybe the epicenter of this hunt for whatever is being hunted here. Philip had a big filing cabinet in the corner for whatever work stuff he had to bring home. It's been toppled, all the drawers have been pulled out, and all of the documents have been scattered around. This place looks like um, a crime scene. Roman, I presume you follow behind because you're following the only source of light in the in the room. True. She's still a little bit spacey right now, so I think this is maybe for right now more of a Knox lead, but she's, she's coming back. As Daniel Craig says in Knives Out, I suspect foul play. (laughs) (laughs) In now confirming pretty much beyond a shadow of doubt that that something has transpired here, we're going to actually use some of the rule sets of Urban Shadows here. Hey! And I am going to use Invocation on Kitty. Okay. She owes me a debt and I can cash in a debt with someone and I appear in their presence. Roman, your sister is in trouble and... I don't have time to explain. Come find us. You, you're a smart, talented girl. What the fuck? You'll be able to find us, and I, and I disappear from her. From her, her you her asshole! You didn't tell me anything. You contacted me afterwards. But I, I grab her hand, I hold my lighter above it, and then it just falls into her hand because I disappear and the lighter stays. You watch so much anime. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a fact. I was literally thinking of the scene in your name where the, 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 <gasps> the pen, pen drops. Roman, you you are forced into the limelight of this scene quite, quite drastically as every other living entity exits it. As Nox vanishes and that sour sulfuric smoke that heralds the presence of, of a demon or of a tainted briefly blots out the other sickly smell that underlies his apartment. And then you find yourself in the dark. You flick this lighter on and you are... Standing in your sister's bedroom, her her rich satin sheets tossed to the floor, her beautiful, you know, very expensive wardrobe of designer clothes tossed around. What do you do? Uh, okay, well, I guess since I got mega ditched, I <laughs> got to focus up a little bit and, I don't know, stop being a nostalgic dummy. I would like to look through the paper trail. 
Okay, so clearly somebody was in here looking for something. I want to rule out what it wasn't, at the very least. Like, obviously I can't know what was taken, but I can know what wasn't. How much do you know about Philip Yanakis, a character you've often tried to avoid talking to or being around over the course of this campaign? <laughs> yeah, no, not a lot. I um, maybe know his, like, the vaguest sense of his job because I think when we were still living together, Kitty might have been like, and I'm marrying Philip, and this is what he does. But I don't really take an interest uh, in politics, sure. especially. So Roman's like, this is where I would find him, maybe, his office. Your impression is that whoever was in here, whoever was searching this apartment, was more interested in Philip than in Kitty. These papers, some of them have been marked out with an X. Some of them have been sort of roughly categorized into piles. The first one that you grab that seems the most intact that is poking out of the overturned filing cabinet, it's a report delivered to the office of the mayor, and it's titled... Very, very engagingly, Harry Potter and the analysis of data recorded December through March to inform mayoral proceedings. The authors are listed as Edward Cook and Philip Yanakis. And as you flip through this report, you see uh, something you recognize. You see a schematic of a machine that you recognize as the Archaeological Radiance Quantifier. Edward Cook is one hand dude, yeah? Yeah. Confirmed by Hazel, who told me that that guy was either an Edward or an Edwin. Can I get a sense of, finally, why are they so interested in the Ark from this analysis? You sure can. It's a very substantial report, and it has a lot of juicy tidbits in it. The first section is just raw data readings that are measured from the Ark. There are three locations that were being monitored by Edward Cook. Uh, one of them is Fairmont Park, which tracks with the photograph you took of a man holding the Ark in Fairmont Park. One of them is a spot that is downtown, roughly near the Drake Casino. And the third location is in the north end. You think about the intersection that is written in the report, and you remember the address that was on the invoice that you found uh, that Arthur Cho gave to you. This location is referred to in the report as the production facility. And all of these areas, as the report states, are areas of concentrated arcane energy within the city. Edward Cook has logged uh, an increase in the rates. These numbers are going up. There is more and more arcane energy flowing into the city. This increase is attributed, according to Edward and Philip, to the result of the manufacture and distribution operations undertaken by the mayor. This part is a little bit technical and a little bit vague. It's not clear what is being manufactured or distributed, but whatever it is, over the course of the last year, it has played its part in driving up the magical energy in the city. There are links to increased presence of demonic activity as a result of this increased arcane energy. And the second section of the report details the construction of Lennox Spire, which is the tower that the mayor is constructing downtown Lakeshore, which she plans to properly ribbon cut at the Lakeshore exhibition in maybe a week's time at this point. The report reads, by constructing Lennox Spire roughly in between the points listed, saturated coverage should be assured. It's not clear what exactly that means. 
There are notes about companies that are working on the installation, activation, and operations of Linux Spire. And a name that you are familiar with catches your eye, Roman, as you uh, hold your lighter out and run your hands along the support and try to glean some sense of it. It's a bulky, like, 150 pages. I'm just giving you the good shit. This name is Rex Lemaire. His holding companies, of which he has a variety, he dabbles in construction as well. And it seems like the mayor has tapped him specifically to be in charge of the majority of the work being done on Linux Spire in the past few months. There's something stapled to the last page of the report. The first part is an addendum, which reads, Based on the current analysis, I feel that the range of current readings is unacceptable. As they continue to climb, the possibility of exacerbated demon activity becomes more likely, and energy fluctuation has a greater chance of threatening the stability of the crystal makeup, e.g. overloading. While I understand the importance of the mayor's work and the significant capital and labor invested in the project, it is my recommendation that the operations detailed herein be suspended immediately. Below that stapled is a memo bearing the heading of the office of the mayor of the city of Lakeshore. It just reads, see me. Oh my God, that was so much information, which is good, (laughs) which is good, but we're still absorbing it. The reason that it was uh, suspended by the mayor is that we think that the increase of magic is producing or attracting too many demons, correct? Edward seems to believe that the increase of magic is increasing demon activity. This would track with a lot of what Susan has been researching. And it even tracks with what Ileana was talking to you since the beginning of the campaign about how the magical energy all around her in Fairmont seems so much more active. Edward and Philip recommend suspending the operations. That's a recommendation. If you know municipal politics, people make recommendations as as the day is long. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to follow them. You know what I mean? Uh, So I think Roman can kind of piece together here like arc is used to determine magic that in magical areas the crystal is somehow boosting that magic that magic is going to be used to create lennox spire outside of the character i know that lennox spire is going to like probably cancel all of that magic or like use it up and i again as roman can kind of puzzle out that it probably isn't canceled because I know Edward Cook is dead. Most of that's that sounds good to me. I think the the thing that is the least clear is exactly what role an expire plays in all of this. Um, yes, that yeah, is yeah. not something that this report is like super clear on. It's mostly focused on the construction of it. Yeah, the general sense, I guess, or the direction here is Lennox Spire being built. Lennox Spire bad. Check out Lennox Spire with my friends. That's a haiku. <laughs> my sister ran away. My other friend said, I don't know how many time and gave me a lighter and disappeared. So I guess I'm going to wrap up in this apartment and go talk to Sue Simon. Okay. Is there any other place in the apartment you want to look before you do that? Is there anything that will point me towards where Kitty is? Like, I'm not expecting something so straightforward as like, here's a pamphlet for the Catskills. But like, I think it's fair to say that I would notice luggage is gone. So I know that they went on like some semblance of a vacation. Sure. Does Betty have a diary? I wonder if Betty has a place where she keeps stuff. Maybe the first time I re-met up with Kitty, I was like, where the fuck did you get sunshine? And she was like, my stepdaughter had it in a hollowed up. <laughs> Standing in Philip's room, you remember because you're a detective. You guys are detectives. It's allowed. It's fun. You remember what Kitty told you about where Betty liked to stash her drugs and following a hunch, like a detective would, (laughs) you head into Betty's room and check underneath her bed 
And indeed, you find it was a hollowed out book, I believe. And you find it where Kitty mentioned between the bed slats. You pull it out. And uh, inside there is like a tiny little notebook where Betty likes to write down her most uh, precious thoughts and feelings. I'll be real. A lot of it's drawings of Joan. Girls got it bad. In the more recent entries, as you flip through, you can see, I mean, not only the information you're looking for, but kind of like moody entries about how her dad is never home, how her mom, her stepmom was just like, bye. She has to make her own breakfast now. Kind of sucks. Toward the end of the diary, you can find a note talking about how she was going to leave it. The diary that is uh, in the apartment for a while since Philip told her that he wanted to go on a longer trip to this resort. She describes the approximate location of it for her stepmom's health. So Philip decided it would be best to take the family out for a healthy, natural retreat. Not the top priority here, but are there drugs in the book? Uh, Unfortunately, Betty is not holding right now. Or fortunately, I don't know how you feel about that. Sad. I wanted drugs. Um, (laughs) I know what I want to do. I want to talk to Sue Simon, hop on their super sexy motorbike thing, and we're going to have a cool loading screen animation. Do you know what I mean? Like our hair blowing in the wind. (laughs) Okay. You uh, head out of Betty's room. Maybe you've like ripped the page of the diary to keep the address down on. And you make your way down the hallway towards the foyer and the living room, still uh, leading yourself in the light of the Zippo that Knox left you. When you hear a sound, unfortunately familiar scuttling sound. And as you step into the apartment, you can see in front of the door, perched on the knob, is a severed animate hand. I did say it was a Cousin It-style hand the last time these came up. I apologize to my Adams Family stands in the audience. It's a Thing-style hand. Cousin It is the hairy guy. This Thing-style hand, its severed wrist, is perched on the knob of the door, and it's holding, betwixt its fingers, a lit match. It raises its pinky, sort of curls it at you, as though in a cheery wave, and drops the match into the gasoline-soaked papers that are strewn about the entrance of the apartment. That sickly sweet smell that has been hounding you as you've searched around suddenly becomes the smell of powerful, uh, thick, sweaty smoke that spills out oily and, and curling over the entrance of the apartment in the doorway. Susan Starling. So we're, we're coming up on sort of deep into the evening in Lakeshore. You today had your conversation with Hazel. I would imagine that you are probably at the Naturalist Society because where else is there to be maybe working on a plan or catching up with the other naturalists? That's canon because Knox and Roman showed up to talk to Joan. So is that meeting still going on? Is it wrapping up? We have a meeting. We talk about Malarax. Let's say you ask them to do research on the 13 demons that someone recently let loose in the city of Lakeshore. And so the naturalists have been able to start digging through the materials and uh, figuring out some bios, some like Tinder profiles of each of these demons to present to you at this meeting. Malarax is a serpentine creature with big ram's horns, not unlike the horns that Hazel herself sprouts when she transforms into uh, Malarax's sort of agent. It 
is known to be very fast and very deadly. When Hazel sort of accesses that segment of Malarax's power, Rex often asked her or hired her or forced her to work as like a hit woman, as an assassin. Um, and Malarax is a very deadly creature. Grace, who has been translating a poem from Latin into English to see if it contains, I love that Buffy shit, to see if it contains any like understanding of Malarax and how it operates, recites a verse that describes a great serpent that plagued an area around here that is afraid of water, that doesn't like being wet or being submerged. So you eagerly jot that down in your notebook. The girls are excited to have this big research project, but also very nervous. I mean, the the amount of danger they're in as they work in the natural society has only exponentially escalated in the past month or two as not only have regular demon appearances increased, but now there's some 13 greater demons. There's mentions of like a criminal syndicate throughout the city. They're very happy to help you, but all of this stress and this worry that you've been noticing out of the corner of your eye building up, they are tense as they're delivering this information. It, it feels like you are a general uh, asking for a briefing from some troops and analysts. Like this feels, this feels really intense. It feels really urgent. It feels violent and it feels um, scary. No longer is there like room for little outbursts for like Nancy to talk about what she bought at Preston's today or for Dorothy to start singing along to that out of tune radio in the corner. Now this is a really um, a dire place that you essentially live and work in. Yeah, it's how it goes, isn't it? Do you have anything to say to these girls? Thank you, as always, for all your hard work on this. We've got we've got some great information here. Uh, especially um, that Malarax is, is afraid of water. That's that's such a huge uh, advantage for us. We can absolutely use that to uh, to help us here. And you know we are on a tight deadline, so you know this this will all be happening within the next three days or so. So I need to know who's who's ready and who's able to to be there with us to take this thing down because there are thirteen of them, and the sooner we start. Getting rid of them, the better. And then all of this chaos will start dissipating once we just, you know, take down who's at the top. The girls shoot each other uh, some worried looks. Joan, of course, raises her hand. She says, still got my good arm. The other arm is in a sling. Uh, you noticed it had been uh, injured when she was treating you a few nights ago, and it seems like she had downplayed the extent of the injury, and she's been wearing a sling around for the past few days. But it is the hand that she does not shoot with, and she feels confident in her ability to support you. Nancy has been Joan's kind of lieutenant when you've been gone, when you've been raiding the casino or doing dealings with the wolves down at the dock. Nancy has stepped up and... It's it's uncomfortable to see this this woman who still carries uh, an air of innocence, who is still wearing a rayon sweater with like a butterfly applique, agree to join you in a potentially lethal fight to take down a great demon. Grace doesn't want to risk it. She is happy to help on the sidelines, but she wants to stay with her family and make sure they have a mom. So she politely and respectfully declines your offer. Juliet just wants to get supplies from her pastor husband, like maybe some more holy water, but she knows she's no good in a fight, and Dorothy's asleep. <laughs> that's that's about right. And I guess I'll need Roman, who can summon torrents of water at will. She's very good at it. The doors of the Natural Society uh, bang open, and like the wooden the wooden doors clatter against the inside of the walls, 
and uh, you hear someone curse, and then you you hear the sound from the front entrance of something being dragged over the floor. I run over to whatever that might be. Ileana, the fae matriarch of Fairside, is standing in the foyer of the Lakeshore Naturalist Society. She is barefoot, wearing a striped sundress. Her long blonde hair is a little out of place, askew. She is panting with the effort of dragging behind her the massive body of the lion-headed winged demon that attacked you at the Natural Society a few nights before. Black, sticky, tar-like blood is dripping on the used-to-be-nice carpet runner in the foyer as she pulls this thing's body inside. And then she turns to you, wipes her hands on her dress, and she says, Got one for you. To what do I owe the pleasure? I want to talk. All right, I'm listening. Do you have somewhere we can sit? Yeah. Ileana follows you over to your desk, Susan, in the Naturalist Society, uh, having disposed of the demon body, or at least asking someone else to. And as you sit down, she uh, sits, perches on the edge of the desk and leans down and looks at you and she says, "Um, So, how's the demon hunting going? Uh, I feel like my list just got longer. Well, shorter, thanks to you. Don't mention it. It's going to get longer still, Susan. A lot longer. That tracks with the data we've been pulling about the increase in demonic activity, that's for sure. What do you know? I know a lot more than I did last week. You can see that her eyes are sort of um, uh, red-rimmed, and it looks like she has not been getting a lot of sleep. Um, Has anyone told you that Kitty doesn't have powers? Maybe I don't know. I've been looking into things. There's a storm coming, Susan. I see it on the horizon. Big, dark clouds. I don't like it. I don't like storms. Yeah, I've been feeling that myself. I gave you a gift today. I want to make an arrangement with you. Keep talking. You may know about Fairmont Park. It is a source of magical energy to all of the fae and the demons that inhabit this place. And it's also where the barrier between the worlds is thinnest. That makes sense. I don't like it here anymore. I want out. I want to go home. And that's why I need your help. What could I possibly do about that? Oh, I'm glad you asked. We are going to open a portal out of this terrible infested town. And I am going to retire for some time somewhere a little more comfortable. All you have to do is what it is you do best. Killing demons. How does killing a demon open a portal to another world? There's a ritual. It requires a sacrifice from both worlds. From this world, the mortal plane, and from Arcadia, the sacrifice of a demon or a fae. If you can bring a live demon to the ritual and then unalive it, 
I'll do the other half, and I'll be on my merry way. And did you have a timeline for this? As soon as possible. I can hear the rain drumming on the roofs of the city, and it's loud, and I don't want to hear it anymore. Are you quite all right? <sighs> Never better. Where's Roman? Uh, looking for his sister. There's no time for that. Well, she opted out of the storm, this life, demons, magic, whatever. That's smart. You should let her be. She's useful. Mmm. You're like me, Susan, aren't you? You see the value in things. When everyone works together, it's easier to accomplish goals. When everyone works together, they need a leader. And when they have a leader, that leader needs to rule. But I don't like being told what to do. Well, aren't you the queen of this park, this city, the Fae? Queen of the park, certainly. Queen of the city? Oh, the rain is so cold, it bites at my skin. Can I touch your arm? Yeah. Part of it, part of it is just like, are you all right? Are you here with me? Are you trying to touch it in like a reassuring way? Yeah, and also like, is she is she wet? Is there actual rain? Like, is she hallucinating? What's happening? Uh, I think she's half poeticizing, half hallucinating. That sweet, sweet blend. As you reach your hand and touch her arm, she lashes out quickly and grabs your elbow. And with her free hand, she does her signature. Uh, dragging of the nails down your forearm, the tingles uh, ripple up and make you squirm in nervousness and a little pleasure. When you blink, you can see a shimmer of gold surrounding Ileana. It might be something that Roman has told you about before. And you can also see um, that her eyes are different. They're, when you try to focus on them, it's almost like she's looking at you and then you can see a superimposed image of her eyes looking in one direction and then another and then another and then another. It seems like while she's carrying on this conversation with you, she's also carrying on a million other thoughts or ideas at the same time. And it's causing her to sort of be a little less present or a little more lateral with you. This image lasts for less than a second. You, I think, have no aptitude for magic and um, even her like strongest attempt to grant you a little bit of the sight can can barely last before she's once again looking down at you with shrewd kind of strange eyes, but still with that beautiful face and that warm smile. And she says, I know lots of things and I've made up my mind. Well, I appreciate your resolve. It's refreshing. So you'll agree to my proposition? We'll open the portal? I'll bring you a demon. Make it a big one. Roman, you're standing in the middle of Kitty Yanakis' apartment. It's on fire. What do you do? How on fire is it? <laughs> Whoever was in here had mostly prepared a trap by surrounding materials that could be flammable by the door. You have like a few seconds to plan a move, um, but it's, it's spreading rapidly. There's gasoline kind of all over the place, and the doorway is the most like inaccessible. It's the heart of the flame. Luckily... I feel like combat, especially element-based combat, it's Roman's time to shine. It's just me in this hand. The hand has done its job and it wants to leave. It was just kind of part of this sort of trap mechanism, right? 
So it's going to sort of scurry out of the scene. Okay, I'm gonna exactly wait for the moment it scurries out of this scene so that I don't have to like, I don't know, get suffocated by this hand. And I'm going to take a corruption move and do my favorite thing that ruins apartments. Sorry to all of Kitty's dresses. <gasps> uh, create a tsunami. It won't not work. Using water to put out an oil-based fire is um, challenging and for anyone listening at home, not the thing you're supposed to do. Let me propose something. You tell me how you feel about it. Roman is standing in the apartment. It's rapidly, everything's catching fire. Um, she is like water bending, smooth moving her hands around to create a full, like aggressive rush of water. Like it is a tsunami. It's not a storm. Um, I do that and it sweeps the fire away, but as it does, it picks me up in it and I knock my head against something and Pass out. I like that a lot. I, I don't think I'm going to ask you to like uh, render yourself unconscious. I, I'm not that mean. Maybe the draw is like summoning a whole tsunami inside an apartment is so much energy and so much chaos in one tiny place that it sort of like bursts the seams Burst, a little bit yeah. in some way. Does that sound good? Yeah, I would love like a tsunami burst me through the glass. The glass shatters. I like it's high up, but there's like a fire escape that I tumble down a little bit and I'm like coughing up water and it feels like there's like blood in my lungs lying on this fire escape in this like dingy alley. Yeah, you click shut the lighter that Knox left you and you stuff it in the back pocket of your trousers and push your sleeves up and you flip off this severed hand as it scuttles out of the scene uh, trying to trap you. It picked the wrong Fae to mess with because you have been putting out fires since almost the beginning of this campaign. You reach in and channel that energy like Ileana has taught you to do. You feel again that corruption, that creeping in. All of the appliances, all of the plumbing, the toilet starts spewing up jets of water from one end of the penthouse and the other. The sink starts spurting out torrents of water that flood over the kitchen and with a massive amount of pressure spray in on both sides into the living room as you channel nature's fury through the plumbing of the whole apartment building and expel it in the direction of this fire that's about to demolish the penthouse. Nature is wild. It's wild fury. You can access it. Controlling it is sometimes another story and you take a couple of steps back as this water starts flooding in everywhere, soon up to your ankles and then your calves and then your knees. And then as furniture starts being lifted up and buoyed and swirled around, the amount of water starts sagging and groaning the floor. You can hear the strain of wood and metal beneath your fey magic. And then the window shatters and you are flung out of the apartment with a fumbling, flailing hand you catch onto a piece of metal and you swing down Spider-Man like as this waterfall pours down the side of the Royal Court apartment building. You are dangling a little bit on uh, the stair of a fire escape. You pull yourself up, topple over onto the landing, cough, sputter, turn over, get onto your hands and knees. You've taken one harm from being knocked out and banged around the metal fire escape as you were launched out of the apartment. But when you tilt your head and look back in, you can hear a distant fire alarm ringing out and you can see smoldering ash and little crumbles of soot flying out along with this trickle of water. And you look into the burned and flooded out hollowed space that was once your sister's apartment. Kitty Yanakis. That's me. 
It's your first or second night at this resort. You are heading back to your cabin after a nice dinner with Philip and with Betty at the buffet hall. Even Betty, as sour and dour as she so often is in her adolescence, um, the fresh air and the, the minimal responsibility seems to be doing her well. And she's at least shifted to like neutral to good most of the times you talk to her. As you're making your way along the little path that leads to your cabin, you hear a scream and the sound of the demon that attacked you in front of the Natural Society a few nights ago, that sort of uh, deep, liony, cat-like growl. It's coming from behind one of the nearby cabins. Yeah, I'm going to instinctively go see where it is without thinking. You burst into this backyard, this cabin, and you see two children from the large family that's staying here uh, playing. The daughter is the one who screamed. The son is the one who is making, upon further inspection and realization, just kid monster noises, nothing sinister. They're just terrorizing each other and running around the backyard. Philip steps up behind you and he puts his hand on your shoulder and he he brings you in for a Christian side hug. And he says, um, Kitty, are you all right? You, you seem really upset. What's wrong? I, did you not hear that? I, I heard the children playing. Was there a problem? It sounded bigger than... I must be my ears playing tricks on me. I'm, I'm sure it's just that. Why don't you... Why don't you just uh, take a deep breath? We'll head back to the cabin. We can have some uh, ice cream and play whatever board games existed back now. Chess. The game of life. There's like a weird, bad, heteronormative version from like the 40s where it's like... That's just the current version. Yeah, and that's a great metaphor. You are playing this board game with Philip and Betty. I mean, you have healed the harm that you were still experiencing from your bullet wound and your last run-in with the demon. So you're feeling a lot better. And Philip, I mean, the last time you saw him when you came back to the apartment, he was still running ragged bags under his eyes. Um, He looked so stressed and... Now in this beautiful resort, he seems so much healthier. His face is full of color again. He's eating well, and he's all smiles. As you play this board game, he reaches out and he grabs your hand and he looks into your eyes and he says warmly, you know, Kitty, I love you. Um, hmm. Do you have to think about how to respond to this? <laughs> no, I'll say I love you too, but I think Kitty is notably not on the same positive trajectory as the rest of her family, even though she's healed her harm physically. I feel like I'm not, I haven't been able to relax in the same way they are. I'm having a lot more trouble actually relaxing than I maybe thought I would. I think that speaks to to Kitty generally, for sure. Yeah. And Philip, as much as he's not good at picking up on your emotional cues, just kind of smiles and he says, I know now, Kitty, that you need your space and your time. And I... I just wanted to take this moment and tell you that I'm sorry for how I acted. I I was under a lot of stress, but that's no excuse. It's it's clear to me now that my first duty always is and, and must always be to my family. I really appreciate that. And I've also neglected my responsibilities at home and let myself get really sucked into this world that you obviously know I really had no no place being a part of. So you're not entirely in the wrong. I appreciate that I had that I have some work to do as well. 
I... Your sister and I are, are very different people, and we have our disagreements, but I respect greatly that you two have such a strong bond and that you are willing to do whatever you needed to do to help her and that she was willing to take you in and give you whatever it was that you needed. I'm very happy for you for that reason. Now that you're back, Kitty, I mean, I... Uh, the cooking and the cleaning, I mean, the apartment looked quite bad bad when I was uh, living there by myself, so I'm, I'm delighted that it won't ever look that bad again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel pretty bittersweet on this conversation. Like, obviously, very nice, but also, yeah, I'm at odds with the whole situation. I don't really know what to do about that. Trust me. Just trust me. We're getting there. Okay. I know. I know you've had a long wait, but I think it's going to be rewarded. Okay. I'm going to spin the wheel and then land on you go to college or whatever. Yeah, you, you play your game and you... You live your life with Philip for a couple of hours of peace. I mean, it's maybe not perfect. Maybe there's there's underpinnings of, of fear or resentment or shame. But is any life perfect? Is any marriage perfect? You two are, are looking out for each other and trying as best as you can in a very dangerous, very frightening world to hang on to each other and to help each other. And you kind of mull those thoughts over as you move your stupid little plastic molded sedan around the board and pick up little happy, fat, pink and blue children and think about what the future holds, which for once in your life, you have no idea. Susan Stalling, are you there? Have you outlined part of a plan? Are there any other like preparation things you want to do? Or how do you feel? One thing I am interested in is the concept of like a magic circle or something that can bind a demon to a particular place so that when summoned, the demon can't leave immediately because watching Kitty summon them like from a magic circle, I think was like a reminder that 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 is a thing people can do. They can summon demons on purpose. And Hazel said she couldn't really do that unless she had finished a job. She doesn't have control over that. And I want like the most control possible in this scene, especially if now there's like a specific time and place where this demon needs to like be alive, but trapped for Ileana's ritual to succeed. If there's any kind of like wizard magician person in my neighborhood, I would love to pay them a visit and ask for such services. I think you should hit the streets. I would allow this to be a conversation that you could maybe have with uh, Jim Stevens. Okay. What faction is he? He's mortality. I rolled an eight. Okay. Seven to nine, there's a cost or he's busy. I would love the cost option. Because I don't have time for him to be busy. I need him to help me right now. Agreed. So you hop in your motorcycle, Susan, and you head over to Jim Stevens' store. Once again, I'm required by law to ask you what you think your interactions with this character in the past would have been. Because I think in the canon of the episodes, there haven't been any. Okay, what do we know about Jim Stevens? We know that he, like, kind of knows some stuff about, like, machines. He can sew people back up. Um, but maybe I don't know that because otherwise I would have thought of that the other day. Jim Stevens has, like, lived and operated in this area for um, decades. 
this guy has a lot of expertise and like odd jobs. If there's anyone who knows any like hidden information, secrets of Fairside that we're not privy to yet, it's going to be Jim. The plausible reason why you might not have gone to Jim Stevens when you were recovering from the casino episode is that Roman kind of burned a bit of a bridge with him when he doctored Kitty when she got shot. And he was kind of like, I'm out of the game. I'm trying to keep my head down. Don't like darken my door again kind of thing. As a resident of Fairside myself, I'm sure I go to the general store for, you know, mundane items. And, you know, I carry magical weapons on me. So if he has a keen eye and like spots the runes on my rune gun, I'm sure that leads to like conversation. It's like, oh, how do you know about that? What have you been up to? He's the old neighborhood man who's like, you know, I'm just trying to like live a quiet life. But if you need something, if you need need something, here's my fucking insane weapon basement, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So I think you find yourself in front of Jim Stevens' emporium, and as you push the door in, the little shot bell jingles, and uh, an older man with snow-white hair and little pince-nez glasses perched on the end of his nose looks up from writing in a notebook and gives you a friendly, if tight, smile. Good evening, uh, Susan. We're uh, we're going to be closing up in a few minutes. Is there anything I can help you get? Yeah, hi. I have a special request. He arches an eyebrow. You know, nothing from this floor. He rises from behind the counter and he crosses over to the door and he locks it. You know, I know you like to hang around with Roman. I'm sure she's told you that uh, my wares are, are pretty spoken for these days. Spoken for? It's been some time since I was uh, really in the line of work that you find yourself or adjacent. So uh, I'm not necessarily stocking new inventory every day. You know what? Fuck this uh, really tired metaphor, Susan. What do you want? I want a magic circle that can trap a demon. Well, fuck me gently. Okay, is that all? Is there anything else I can do for you? How about uh, I, I bring Lennox Spire in here and we dance around it naked like a maple while we're on the topic of easy requests? Look, I'm sorry. I don't know who else to go after. This demon problem is so out of control. I've got... Rex on one shoulder, I've got Ileana on the other shoulder, and the whole fucking city is about to collapse. So if you want to cooperate with me, I would be in your debt. Mm, that's putting it mildly. I mean, frankly, I was thinking of packing this place up and and starting over somewhere else, but man, I've lived here for years. I don't wanna I don't wanna give up this shop. It's dark time, Susan. I'm sure you know it, but... And I also know that it doesn't matter where you move to, because everywhere has their own problems, and you can't fucking escape this world once you're in it. God, ain't that the truth. <sighs> so can you help me? It's not gonna be easy, and it's not gonna be cheap. Look, I'm a desperate person. I'll do anything. <sighs> Let's see if I can remember. Why don't you... He uh, gestures over to a little door marked employees only, and he opens it, and... Um, a long, winding, dimly lit staircase spirals down deep into the earth. He pulls a little uh, cord and a bare, dingy bulb flickers to life. And he slowly, hunched over, you know, feeling his age, starts making his way down these innumerable steps to the basement of his emporium. Okay. Down at the bottom, he has a workshop. 
And maybe Roman saw like the above ground darkroom portion of it. I don't know how much she knew, but this is like Jim Stevens is keeping tabs. There is some small uh, maps pinned to the wall with some like neat, careful notations and faded ink, mostly of the Fairside neighborhood. It seems like he is kind of keeping track of demons, but not with the same like depth or detail or intensity as you are. They're just one in a whole host of things. There's notes on werewolves. There's notes on everything in the city. He's a he's a watcher. I appreciate your line of work, and I know that you're not very interested in uh, containment or collection as much as disposal. So I'm wondering if you're familiar with the principles of a magic circle in general. No, I don't do magic. Typically, you need some kind of mineral. Circle of salt, circle of chalk are kind of your classic standbys. I'm sure you've seen movies. If you know the specific creature in question, there are some runes that can be added to the circle that will help uh, kind of focus in on that creature, prevent any It's specifics. It can kind of narrow down the problem. You understand what I mean here? I do. And I do have a specific creature in mind, so that's perfect. Care to drop a name in my ear, Sunshine? Malorax. Don't know it. Why is it coming around here? Uh, It has uh, Thrall, who's an ally who doesn't want to be a Thrall anymore, and Ileana's opening a portal to another world. (laughs) Oh my god, when you said that I felt 25 again. Just another day in Lakeshore. Mm, no shit. Okay, Malarax. Um, he climbs a little ladder that is attached to a big dusty bookshelf, and he starts uh, rummaging around in some cluttered old dusty tomes that are stacked very high, and he pulls one down, and he says, um, this is just names, no identifying information, but if you look up Malarax, you'll find the runes that you need. Big, Big fella, do you think? Yeah, it's big. Okay, I mean, to level with you here, the more power one of these beings has, the more they can kind of scoff at the binding forces any mere mortal can conjure. Uh, Something like this, salt, chalk, might work for a second, might work for a minute, depending on what day of the week you catch them, but not going to work forever. There's, mm, There's something bigger we could do. Look, I know you've seen some shit, but the other night I watched my friend activate a magic circle, summon 13 large demons in the basement of the Drake Casino, where Rex Lemaire does all his whatever, and he has such a stranglehold on this city, there's more demons every day, Ileana's going on about a big storm coming, I want to rid this fucking planet of demons because they've been ruining my life for the past 20 years, and I need this to work, Jim. Okay, roll to persuade an NPC. Oh good, okay, my heart's down to zero, I thought it was minus one, it's not, it's a seven. Okay, on a seven to nine he's gonna modify the terms or demand debt. Okay kiddo, I I hear what you're saying. You can't win, Susan, not forever. You can win a day, you can win a week, you can win a month, but maybe that's the end of it. All you can really try to do is spend as much time as possible beating it back, tearing it down before it springs back up again like weeds. And if you're not careful, if you push yourself too far, well, you'll knock yourself out and then it'll be game over either way. You understand what I'm saying? It's 
it's at the most about balance or or fairness or even a little moment of peace or justice but it's not about winning and it's never going to be about winning it's never going to be about ridding the whole planet of demons you couldn't do that without destroying the planet i i know there's no peace for me in this life i've made my choice good i appreciate that but there's a heck of a lot of other folks living in here who wouldn't mind a day of peace, too, if they could help it. Hey, that's that's all I'm trying to do, right? One day of winning is another day of peace for everyone else. <laughs> if the math adds up. He uh, is making his way over to a big uh, wall-mounted cabinet that seems to have, like, a hundred different drawers and he's rummaging through, looking for something and muttering to himself. And he says, um, uh, I've, I've spent plenty of days and nights in Fairmont Park. I know perfectly well what it's capable of, and I know perfectly well who likes to call it home. I appreciate you've got your headquarters at the Naturalist Society. And I can offer you this. He pulls a piece of carved stone from one of these drawers. It's about the size of a grapefruit, like this kind of smallish rock, and it is inscribed and carved all over with runes. Uh, and he says, please don't ask me where I got this from. I make the zipper on the mouth gesture. For a demon this big, you need a circle big enough to contain it. Big circles can help keep it in, but it needs big power to activate, right? Big, big, big. Economy of scale. This thing is, uh, think of it like a battery. You know about uh, ley lines, places where magic is more powerful, where uh, where things ancient and arcane like to bleed through, Fairmont Park being one of them? I hear whispers about it, sure. This will uh, help you channel the power of the ley line, but um, it might come at a cost. It might be a little bit destructive. There is an altar uh, where this can rest, and while this is in place, if you have the correct runes inscribed on the altar, well, the entirety of Fairmont Park is going to be your magic circle. You're going to have a little bit of a safari zone for you to romp around in. This Malarax won't be able to get out of any side, not to the lake, not to the city, not north. Nowhere. All right. Where's the altar? Yeah, this is the part you're not going to like. The altar is beneath the Fairmont Park Naturalist Society, as it happens. You probably didn't notice because without this stone, it doesn't radiate any kind of energy whatsoever. This looks like a rock with a divot in it. Okay, is this the kind of thing that's like in the basement, if it has one? I think it's the kind of thing where if you like go underneath the balcony, it was like the, the veranda was built over top of it. Oh, okay. And he says, so that's all well and good, but once you take this thing out of the altar and the power is redirected back to the ley lines, uh, I don't know exactly what's gonna happen. Um, might not be pretty. Just be careful with this thing. Some living creature needs to go and, and pull it out of the altar as well. And whoever does that might be in for um, well, precautions, Susan. I'm not a mind reader. I can't see the future. You need to be careful with this. Speaking of batteries and power, can I have brought the crystal with me? Can I show him the crystal? You can show him the crystal. 
what is this? And what does it have to do with magic? He brings it over to the work table and uh, lays it down and, and swivels a big lamp over the table surface and turns it on, peers down with his spectacles. I think it um, amplifies. I think having these around would uh, enhance, concentrate, focus the ambient magic of a region. Where'd you get it? I guess it comes from Rex at the end of the trail. He's been ordering these in large supply and they're involved in Lennox Spire, I'm sure. Jim Stevens' eyebrows shoots up and he says, are you kidding me? Is this is this why he stopped bringing in sunshine? Yeah, that's, this is what he's been importing instead. In large quantities. Yes, crates and crates. Oh, sweet Mary above me, Susan. I don't like the sound of that at all. I, I don't know what it means. Well, whatever it means, whoever is in control of, of these, whoever is, is pulling these strings is going to be getting a lot of magical juice flowing their way. Uh, and if they know how to handle it, if it doesn't fry them inside out like a fucking Pop-Tart in 30 seconds, they're going to have a lot of power and a lot of shit to say, no doubt. I'm sure the mayor's at the center of all of this. You really think you can... <laughs> Don't you just want to run away? I mean, the mayor... I'm... I've lived here for... 50 years. Susan, if if you're if what you're saying is true, this might be one of the baddest things I've ever seen. And uh that's saying something when you're talking to a fella as old as I am. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Well, fuck it. Keep the orb free of charge. I think you need it more than I do. Thank you. If I, if there's anything I can do for you, you know how to find me. If, uh, if you see that countdown ticking towards zero, you, uh, let old Jim know so he has time to, I don't know, water his plants and tell his kids he loves them before he's fucking blown to bits with the rest of this city. You do that for me, eh? Yeah, sure thing. Okay. And I give him an uncharacteristic hug. He's a little stiff. You've never hugged him before or, like, really had an intense conversation. I don't hug anybody. And you don't hug anybody. But he's a kind man, and I think he realizes that you're in a moment of a bit of need. He embraces you, and he says, um, One last thing, if you can do me just one favor. Yeah. He reaches underneath the desk and pulls out a big duffel bag. I'm, I'm sure Roman's having her tough times too, but she left her camera equipment here two months ago. Do you want to see that she gets it back before too long? Yeah, of course. She's a good kid. I'd, I'd hate to see her... Uh, part ways. She's got talent. Yeah? Yeah. She should show you some of her stuff sometime. I'd like that. He smiles at you, sadly, and he leads you back up the stairs and out of the store. Kitty, it is about midnight, I would say. Two things happen. The first is that you wake up and you are alone in your bed. Philip is not there with you. You roll over and reach for his reassuring belly or arm or whatever, and you find nothing but empty, empty bed. The second thing that happens is the noise that woke you up, a weird kind of rushing of air, materializes in the far corner of the bedroom with a cloud of sulfuric smoke into knocks. Ah! 
Is there any kind of like residual stuff? You know, like when people in movies are like, if you teleport, you get sick. You feel very dizzy. And for a moment, you almost see the after image of like Roman standing in the center of the room. But then after you blink a few times, it starts to fade. I kind of like plop onto the floor trying to get my north back as I'm maybe somewhat woozy. So I, I'll say I haven't caught my, my, my bearings yet. What are you doing here? Where's where's Philip? Have I ever met Philip? Do I even know who that really is? <laughs> You've probably heard the name. He's a he's a great guy. He's very popular. No, Kitty. Hello. You just came to my bedroom. What are you doing here? How did you get here? I thought you were in. Uh, I thought you were in trouble. As you can see, I am perfectly safe. I feel like these two people have just, like, swapped, so I'm currently blaming Knox for Philip being gone. There was a man here with me. Do you know where he has gone, perhaps? No, you're... Have you have you been home recently? Yes, I went home for a few hours, and we came pretty much straight here. Roman and I, we were at your apartment, and it's... It's been turned inside out. That wasn't you? I wouldn't leave my apartment a mess. Nice. She doesn't care that we were in her apartment. Okay, past that checkpoint. <laughs> Phew! I probably do care about that, but I care more that I've been burgled. Someone's been in your apartment in your absence, and they've completely turned it inside out. Has anyone come to see you here? Is anyone after you? What's going on? I, I, we, were, we were worried. I, I, that's why I came. We were looking for you. I don't know who would have robbed our apartment. I suppose, if anything, it might have to do with Philip's work. He did leave suddenly. How do you not know? I thought that you you can see you you always you know the future and and you have all the answers when I don't want them. And now that I I want them, you don't have any. Well, I don't have all the answers right now. You were with Roman. Did she not tell you what happened? No. Well, I made a trade for Roman's life, and now I am just as average I'm, as... I'm normal. I'm, I'm normal I'm kitty now. I'm smooth kitty. No. My type has been moved from psychic to normal. Now I'm just as normal as... I guess not you, but anyone. I just... I don't... I don't have that connection anymore. And so, so what, you run away to the countryside never to be heard or seen from again i told roman i was going home and once i came back to my family it's none of her business where i go from there you come with us half the way and then you're not gonna go the last final stretch you 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 release all these demons out into the world and you just throw your hands up and then run away Clearly, I was doing more harm than good. What are you talking about? You, you, we wouldn't have made it half the way without, without you. Well, half the obstacles you encountered were also because of me. And I have nothing to offer. I am better off with my family. Um, speaking of my family, I want to snoop and see if I can figure out where Philip went. Using a move from the Aware playbook. Kitty has a new playbook. So that is a um, nine. On a seven to nine, hold one. While you're there, spend your hold to ask the MC questions one for one. 
Your questions include, what's my best way in or out? Who or what here is not what they seem? What happened to you recently? What here is the greatest danger to me? Or whose turf is this? I guess I want what happened here recently to figure out why Philip isn't here. Absolutely you do. Kitty, you, for a moment, set aside your confusion, frustration, and maybe a little bit of hurt at seeing Knox materialize in your bedroom. Knox, I'm sure you probably feel a little bit stung as Kitty kind of coldly rebuffs your pleas for her help um, and seems, uh, if anything, deeply unhappy to see you here. Kitty is wearing just a little silk nightdress, and she, with a furtive glance, stands up, hurries over to her luggage, and throws on a housecoat and a pair of slippers, her mystery-solving slippers. (laughs) And... um, she takes a look around the cabin. There's a few things that jump out to her. There's a phone by the bedside, but it's it's off the hook. It looks like someone just like dropped it and didn't even bother hanging it out before they left. And by someone, I, of course, mean Philip. His shoes are still lined up by the edge of the bed. So you deduce that he must have left in a hurry. He has taken the key to the room and you can see the faint flicker of firelight coming from towards the reception cabin. I'll head towards, I guess, the reception cabin. Where are you going? My husband has vanished, and as I told you, I am putting this family before gestures wildly towards Knox. Ow. <laughs> Kitty, you rush out of the cabin in your in your housecoat and your slippers, and you can hear the crackle of fire from behind the reception cabin, the parking lot. You sprint forward through the little paths that twist and turn over the cabins, and you circle around the reception area and your eyes meet a grisly scene. Your beautiful, nice town car sedan kind of situation that Philip has driven you out here has been torched. Um, Flames spew up into the sky, belching out more billowy black smoke. It's kind of a visual theme for the episode. In front of the car, some distance away, a second one is parked, a long black nondescript automobile, and standing in front of it is a man that you recognize as Mickey, the goon who terrorized the hardware and who you also ran into at the Drake Casino. Mickey has a big gun trained on Philip, who is standing there in shirt sleeves and uh, unbelted trousers, um, sweating as he has rushed out to the car He has his hands up, and as you approach the scene, he glances over at you, and he says, Kitty, get back in the cabin right now! What is he doing here? Kitty, no questions, right now! Knox shifts. Okay, roll to shift. Ten. Ten, nice. Uh, I'll gain armor plus one. Philip, how far away is he? Sixty or seventy feet. Uh, I'll take demonic movement also and get the wings that presumably move much faster. Okay, what's your angle? Get a thick, rocky layer, uh, get some wings, and scoop them up. Both Kitty and Philip. If you want to swoop in front of Philip, I'm going to ask you, I think, to keep your cool. As Mickey's here with some big guns. Uh, Seven. I think the situation you're trying to avoid is violence inflicted on Kitty or Philip. Sure, yeah. On a seven to nine, you can succeed, but it's going to be at a cost. Okay. I think you are probably going to take some harm. I mean, you do have armor on, and I think you are going to be the sole focus of Mickey's attention right now. Okay. 
your skin ripples, the change occurs, you stretch your big leathery wings and you swoop in front of Philippinakis. Mickey raises his gun and shoots you. So you're gonna take two points of harm as you are like virtually, I mean, throwing yourself in front of a bullet to protect this guy. Yeah. And you feel it slide painfully through your side towards your spine as you twist, as you try to block as much of Philip as you can to scoop him up in your demonic embrace and fly him out of here. You gasp in pain and Philip screams as a huge hulking demon he's never seen before swoops in front of him and bears down on him uh, a moment after he thought he was going to get shot. Mickey is striding across the parking lot. He's still got his gun drawn. He is alternating between aiming at Kitty's head and at you, Knox, where you are spread in front of Philip right now. What's happening? I want to, in the poetic uh, nature of this fella's ex-partner, who I have looted their corpse for a rune gun, produce said rune gun and utilize said rune gun. I think you can roll to unleash an attack. That's a 10. All right, on a 10, you inflict harm as established, which is shooting him, and you can choose one, which is either inflicting terrible harm or taking something from him. Uh, taking something from him, can I disarm him? Like shoot the gun out of his hand? Well, more like shoot maybe like his arm. So it's like, you know, his, his, his good shooting arms like completely mangled. Yeah, I think that's fair on a 10. You grit your fangs, really, not even teeth, as this pain bursts through your spine and you grab from, I guess, your suit jacket. I don't know where your clothes go. It's like an Animorphs question. The rune pistol that you... Can it be like it bubbles from myself? Almost like underneath all of this is another layer of skin and it kind of just like pushes through the skin. (laughs) You Cronenberg this pistol out of your, like, where your holster would be on your leg, you disgusting freak and you turn and draw, and you've launched a massive arc of fire towards Mickey. He screams as it glances and gets the pretty much the left side of his body that he was shooting with. From, from skull to toe, he is wreathed in flames, and he doesn't drop his weapon, but he falls to the ground and starts rolling to put out the flames. That pistol, I think, when you use the rune bullet, does, like I think, three harm and he has his armor, so he's gonna take two harm and fall back against his car as he like smothers the flames out. He's fumbling with his gun to grab it in his other hand and Philip is screaming, what the, what the devil's going on here? Let go of me, you brute. I'm still on the ground, right? Yeah, you are at the edge of the parking lot. Can I try and take advantage of the situation to get Mickey's gun? What, what is taking, what does that look like for you? He'll be temporarily like preoccupied with his on fire arm. I wanna literally just try and use that as an opportunity to grab the gun and I want to try and convince him to leave by pointing the gun at him. Kitty, you're going to aim a gun at someone? Season six, Dark Kitty. I mean, if I can get the gun. I'm going to ask you again to keep your cool because you're running up to a gangster and trying to grab his gun out of his hand. Uh, Seven. You can get this guy's gun. There is going to be a cost. I think that you can get the gun out, but I think he's like a huge guy and he's probably going to like knock you down and try to escape the scene either on foot or in his car. He's going to sort of knock you prone. 
you're running over, your slippers are like flapping against the asphalt of this parking lot, your house coat is flying behind you as you make the snap decision to try to disarm this goon, the partner of the woman who shot you uh, a few weeks ago. You reach over to where he's sort of leaning against his car and like flattening out the flames that are still kind of smoking around the side of his jacket. He pulls his jacket off and you take that opportunity to surprise him and come in and wrench the gun out of his hand. What does he do after um, I grab the gun and get up? I think if, if he pushes you down, he's going to take that opportunity to get into the car and he revs that engine. And as you get up in the parking lot, he is backing the car up and he has his headlights on and you can see his intense, furious eyes, his clenched fingers on the wheel as the headlights illuminate all of you against the side of this reception cabin and in the glowing light of your burned car gonna try to hit you with this car i'm gonna try and run out of the way <laughs> reasonable what are philip and Knox doing am i strong enough to move the car probably at least not like at least veer it a little bit off course if i slam into it full speed trying to overpower the car is a great idea and it's definitely uh let it out as you are trying to like tap into the reserve of your demon strength. I don't know what the environment surrounding is, but if there's a way to like kind of almost veer it off course, hopefully into, oh baby, uh, that's a 10, that's a 10 on the dice. Uh, well, that's plus zero, but 10 still. I picture you maybe like planting your feet down and physically grabbing like the fender and moving it or like flying into it, into the side, trying to knock it out of, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like if there's like a tree that I can make it try and careen into or something would be, would be sweet. In a, my w- weird demon-y voice, I just tell them to stay back and I just plow into it. Because it's happening in moments. I'm just trying to, this moment, it's a reaction, so. Mickey revs his engine and bears down on you, uh, makes a beeline for you, Nox, as you pick up your wings and swoop into a dive. Maybe you do this kind of like faint maneuver where you pick up your wings and launch yourself into a sort of low glide, just like a few feet above the surface of the parking lot, swooping down like a peregrine falcon and then playing chicken almost with this gangster who is just trying to finish his fucking work and get his hit done for the day. But then another fucking demon guy shows up. And then as soon as it seems like you have no time to pull up, no space, you swoop and plant your feet in. You can feel your claws kind of like chewing into the asphalt of the parking lot. As this big, huge like town car is coming, you just thrust your arms out and you can feel the metal bite into the fender of the car curling around your claws and you sort of pull as hard as you can, feeling the strain in your muscles and the fire from the bullet wound in your spine as you pull and drag the car and Mickey doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He's just trying to gun it and maybe even choke that engine, just trying to get you under the tires. But when you decide to almost like slingshot him, you let go and and remove the force that you're applying to the front of the car and it suddenly shoots forward and it smashes into the flaming wreckage of Philip and Katie's car in the corner of the parking lot. You maybe have a second to see Mickey scream and attempt to wrench the door open before his car also erupts in flame as the fire spreads across as his engine explodes and both cars become a towering inferno in the parking lot of this lake resort a few hours out of the city. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of Lakeshore. We'll be back on September 1st with the next episode. See you then.